America's beverage companies are working together to reduce plastic waste in our environment. Not all plastic is the same. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles are made to be remade. We're carefully designing them to be 100% recyclable, including the caps. And we're investing in community recycling improvements so that every bottle we get back can be used to make new bottles. That completes the circle and reduces plastic waste. Please help us get every bottle back. Learn more at everybottleback.org. Welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, May 20th. I'm Andrew Walworth. And before we begin, I want to thank the American Beverage Association for their support of this podcast. Well, it was a big week for primaries. All eyes were on the Pennsylvania Senate race on Tuesday. Apparently, Pennsylvania Republicans can't decide between a TV doctor who owes his fame and fortune to Oprah Winfrey and a hedge fund manager who lived in Connecticut for the past 10 years and worked in George W. Bush's Treasury Department. But that's all in the past, as both have claimed to be more MAGA than the other, and the race between them is too close to call. There were other races this week, including some that tested the strength of the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. And next week, Georgia will hold its primaries, where Trump or Trumpism or Make America Great or whatever we call it will be on the ballot again. Joining me to sort through all this are Real Clear Politics co-founder and president Tom Bevan, Washington Bureau Chief Carl Cannon, and associate editor and columnist A.B. Stoddard. Tom, it looks like a recount will be required to settle things in Pennsylvania, but Donald Trump is already calling it a win for his candidate, Dr. Oz. And here's what he's saying on Truth Social. He's saying Dr. Oz should declare victory and makes it much harder for them to cheat with the ballots that they, quote, just happened to find. And here we go again. In Pennsylvania, they are unable to count the mail-in ballots. It is a big mess, says Trump. Is this situation good for anyone? (laughs) No, it's it's not a good situation for um, for anyone when you do have mistakes and th- when you get down and start digging in the weeds of these elections, as we've seen, you know, from from two, the 2000 election on to, you know, all these closely divided races there w- when issues crop up like this, it immediately engenders this sort of mistrust and suspicion about, OK, what's going on? Why aren't these votes being counted? Um, and so that is, I think, a problem. And Trump is stoking this idea, which is, you know, not good. I mean, Oz is up about 1,100 votes right now. That, you know, it was 2,500. Looks like McCormick's making up a little bit of ground. And there are some, you know, 14, 15,000 absentee ballots that are to be counted over the next, um, you know, a few days. And then we're definitely going to be in a recount, which could last all the way into the first week of June. So this is going to be a, a close race, and we'll have to see. I mean, regardless of who wins, this race has already split the Republican Party in Pennsylvania, and the question is whether they'll be able to come back together after this is decided, because they're going to need a united Republican Party uh, to win this this Senate seat. And and if they don't have a united Republican Party, um, this is this is the dream scenario for Democrats. They'll be able to take this seat back. So, A.B., you had a piece this week in Real Clear Politics. You said uh, Trump, maker of clusters, not kings. Um, what kind of clusters are we talking about here? I mean, delicious peanut clusters? Um. <laughs> no, um, in the popular vernacular, it's known as a cluster F. 
<laughs> Cluster F bomb. Good job, baby. So Donald Trump found out that this extreme candidate slash nutter, Doug Mastriato, was going to win the gubernatorial rate primary contest running away. He started getting nervous about Oz possibly losing because Kathy Barnett, the conservative, quote, commentator, you know, outsider candidate was surging and this was making things really perilous for Trump. So he needed a winner. So he endorsed Doug Mastriano at the last couple days. It made Pennsylvania Republicans furious. Uh, former Senator Rick Santorum took to Twitter to say anyone who's in the lower tier of candidates should drop out. Everyone was saying it was catastrophic and would hand not only the race at the top, the gubernatorial race to the Democrats, but potentially the Pennsylvania House, the Pennsylvania Senate and the U.S. Senate seat as well, whether Oz or McCormick or Barnett won, this was going to be such a gift for the Democrats. And it was a it was like a total emergency. And so. Kathy Barnett ends up being a spoiler for McCormick and takes up all the ultra MAGA votes that McCormick needed to rise away from Oz. And so they, so the, those two now are, are neck and neck. Oz and McCormick. Are neck Sorry, Oz and McCormick for the Senate race. So Mastrata wins the gubernatorial primary, Republican primary, um, handily. Politico reported at least that some Republican donors will be backing the Democrat, Attorney General Josh Shapiro in the gubernatorial race. It's just the energy that people will bring um, against Mastriano for Shapiro, the Democrat, or the Republicans who will stay home and sit it out. That's trouble down ballot for people who Trump backed like Dr. Oz. So Trump didn't think about the fact or didn't care about the fact that Mastriano was really running all along as a ticket with this Kathy Barnett, another real out there extreme candidate who the Democrats were salivating at having win the senatorial nomination. Alas, she did not. But she and Mastriano endorsed each other and they ran together with their signs together, all you know, sprinkled across the state. So in, in the end, his endorsement of Mastriano really could have helped Kathy Barnett, who he was trying to tell people was unfit and unvetted. So the whole, it is a cluster. It's a, it's a classic Donald Trump cluster. And my point was that while his record in the primaries is mixed, he's had some successes. Uh, Congressman Ted Budd won um, the nod for the Senate race, um, the open Senate race in North Carolina. The same night, the establishment-backed former Governor Pat McGorry did not. Trump, you know, Trump got uh, J.D. Vance across the finish line in Ohio. Trump's had some of his endorsees win, but he is going to still make a big toxic brew for Republicans along the way in different places all summer long and all campaign season long. Uh, and we don't know how much he will help the Democrats. They're still likely to lose both the House and the Senate, but he will help them along the way in different places, no question. So, you know, Carl, I did see uh, Mastriano's uh, acceptance speech last night, and I did not detect any pivot to uh, the center to... Uh, <laughs> to help him in the general election in a purple state. I mean, Pennsylvania is still fairly purple, right? Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> Tom mentioned Rick Santorum, very conservative pro-life guy. Um, but he's the exception rather than the rule in Pennsylvania over the last few decades. The kind of Republicans who usually win their statewide are 
you know, Tom Ridge or Arlen Specter, people like this, um, you know, Tom Ridge. So I, or, or I McCorm- McCormick up until yeah, well, he, 18 he may, months ago, right? He may still get Pat there. Pat Toomey's right? fairly conservative guy. Pat Toomey's pretty conservative, uh, Tom, but he's the one who stood in the well of the Senate after on June on, on January 6th and pointed out chapter and verse why Pennsylvania had not been stolen and that Trump, everything Trump was saying was just deranged. So uh, I don't know in this current environment if he qualifies as being conservative. I, I just I, let's take a step back. We're talking about Pennsylvania and, and, and North Carolina, these primaries, which are very interesting this year because of Donald Trump's involvement. But I mean, the, look, this United States Senate would be Republican now if Donald Trump had just behaved like an ordinary person when he lost the presidency. If he'd said, OK, look, I lost this, but we got to keep the Senate Mitch McConnell's hand and gone down to Georgia and campaign for these two Republicans who were on the ballot. Instead, he told people to stay home, gave down there, finally gave a speech, talked about himself for 50 minutes. I mean, you, you know what he reminds me of, Andy? You remember in the 80s, you and I are old enough to remember that. I don't think A.B. and Tom are, but there were 70s and 80s. There'd be these stories in the press. Uh, you know, somebody you never heard of, a British diplomat, you know, St. Sinjin St. Smythe or something. And it turned out he was a Russian spy. He was a Soviet spy. And you're a young kid growing up in California and say, I never heard of Sinjin St. Smythe. But turns out he was big medicine. He was like the Henry Kissinger of Britain back in the day. And he was all the time working for the Russians. If 30 years from now, you know, some document is unearthed and these young people won't even barely remember Donald Trump. Donald Trump was actually a Democrat. He was working for the DNC the whole time. Wouldn't be a surprise. You know, I'm completely in A.B.'s camp on this. And I want to add one thing. This idea that he's telling Dr. Oz, just declare yourself the winner because you're ahead now. Here's the logic of that. I had a big exacta on Epicenter and Zandon in the Kentucky Derby a couple weeks ago, and it would have paid me several hundred dollars. I don't want Tom to think I'm a degenerate gambler, so I'll just say several hundred dollars. And those horses in the stretch, it looked like they were going to run one, two. And this horse, Rich Strike, who is I mean, you talk about a long shot. He makes Kathy Barnett look like Disraeli. He comes out of nowhere and he catches him at the wire. Under the Trump theory, I could have called that race half a furlong earlier and I would go to the windows and I would demand to be paid. Where's my money? I'm not saying Rich Strike won. I'm saying Epizenter and Zandon. Look, look at this picture, this photograph. They were leading the race when I called it. That's what this means. You're not going to count absentee ballots. What is that? That's lunacy. Tom? I mean, okay. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, we'll see what happens in Pennsylvania. I, you know, I've heard the Republican angst about Mastriano, and it's like, well, okay, maybe we'll see. If if Pennsylvania is a is a moderate state, and Kathy Barnett is is would have been a surefire loser. What's John Fetterman? I mean, he's like AOC meets WWE. I mean, the guy is like a progressive Bernie bro. Um, he's way to the left of where the center of the state is politically, if that's the argument. So. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happened. I also heard from Republicans who said one of the reasons that Mastriano's people were pissed that Donald Trump hadn't endorsed him. And they were that's why they were going to not vote for Oz. And by endorsing Mastriano, he won more votes for Oz by doing that to help get Oz across the finish line. So we'll see what happens in the final analysis of this race. I think if, if Oz does lose, it'll be a blow to Trump and the whole, you know, we're keeping score about 
Donald Trump's influence within the Republican Party, yada, yada, yada. And if he wins, it will be another example of, you know, Trump will crow about it and, and rightfully so. I mean, this was a pick that was unliked uh, by the a lot of Republicans in Pennsylvania. A lot of his base really couldn't believe that he did this. And we'll see what happens in November. Honestly, I, I think declarations that, you know, Mastriano dooms the Republican ticket. You know, if there's $6 a gallon gas in Pennsylvania in November and 8.5% inflation and people can't, are, are they... You know, really going to vote for for Democrats? Maybe they might. You know, if Biden's approval rating is thirty two percent in Pennsylvania. Are, are they still going to vote for Democrats? Maybe, but let's just wait and see what happens before we pronounce this race like dead and gone and over. Well, let's talk about the Democrats for a second. A B. Uh, John Fetterman did win. He beat Con- Connor Lamb. Uh, there was a candidate, Summer Lee. She was uh, running for a House race. Looks like she's successful. I guess if they're still counting those votes too. Both were backed by. Bernie Sanders. How did the progressives do this time around? And and what does that say about the future of the Democratic Party? Well, they're doing better than they did in 2020, um, where they could only really compete between like bright blue and bright blue candidate. The idea that they're blocking these moderates is a form of success. You have Jeff Weaver, Bernie Sanders, you know, right hand man back in the day, who's still a big progressive leader crowing about this in Politico this week, saying the rebellion is successful and threatening that maybe in the future, they won't even play in primaries. The progressives would actually get in to a race in the general election as an independent candidate to block moderates, to peel enough Democratic votes away from moderates. So when has that ever worked? They are and, and their theory of mobilization versus persuasion in swing districts has also never worked. You can bring all that energy to a primary where few people show up, but it's not likely that very progressive candidates win swing districts. What is likely for the Democrats, and too bad for them, is that they're going to lose the House and they're going to lose their frontline moderate centrist swing district you know, Democrats. And they're going to have a more pure left, loud minority caucus. And the progressives think that's just fine because they would clearly rather be right than win or be pure than win. Because we saw that last fall during the, the you know, the, the fight over the economic agenda. So they're, they're feeling very excited and energized by these primary victories and they're basically saying if they win no more, that's enough. You know, they're, they're a force. Um, and I think Fetterman is, yeah, I'm not saying he's he's a great candidate. It's really fascinating how I think his Senate nomination is a bigger deal than these other primaries because Connor Lamb, the moderate candidate who ran against Fetterman, really was the more electable candidate by every measure, endorsed by everyone, Fetterman endorsed by no one, and Fetterman wins every county and just slaps Lamb around uh, Liam and the, you know, for never had a chance. Okay, he's lieutenant governor. He has statewide ID that Connor Lamb doesn't. But again, if you're looking at like people putting their money on the more moderate, quote, electable candidates, this this was a victory for progressives to say, see, he's different. He energized people. He's you know, wants to legalize recreational marijuana. He's, you know, he's a he's a progressive. Um, I'm not saying that he's a great candidate to win the state of Pennsylvania in the Senate race. I'm saying that Josh Shapiro, who's running for governor, um, might end up helping him because Josh Shapiro is running against Mastriano. I think the Fetterman thing is interesting. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that he does 
Uh, people really like him. Independents really like him. Um, Democrats really like him. Some Trump voters like him. They think he's authentic, like the MAGA voting base in the Republican nominating electorate in Pennsylvania thought Kathy Barnett was really authentic. And so maybe Fetterman gets points for being authentic, but he's not good at debates. He's sort of inarticulate and grumpy. We'll see. You know, we'll see where he gets. We don't know if he's facing Oz or McCormick. Tom's right. There's lots of variables. It's just that if you're Oz right now, you're not psyched about Mastriano helping Josh Shapiro. I think that that is definitely where the money is, that, that Mastriano presents a, a, an opportunity for Josh Shapiro and that that could help that be coattails for Fetterman. Well, Carl, well, race we've talked about before, but it's coming up on Tuesday is this race down in Texas uh, between Henry Cuellar and Jessica Cisneros, his former intern. Cuellar's looking, uh, he's being outspent now about two to one in the district. So you think she's going to pull that out? And what does that say? I mean, she has put abortion as her number one issue. She's raised a lot of money from Emily's list, places like that. I think it's about $2.1 million she's uh, raised so far, about double what he's raised. Andy, every year, every cycle, we the squad grows, you know, it was, it was two people, then it was four. And the Republicans actually think they could compete there in November. And that, and that may be the case, but let's say if she wins, she'd be conferencing with those people with AOC. In Oregon, there was a race. Kurt Schrader, incumbent Democrat, backed by Biden, lost his primary, it looks like, uh, right. ha- handily, I think. Hasn't been called yet, but yes. Hasn't been called yet. and I, I, He's down I 20 want, points. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to be. Yeah, but Tom, I, after what I said about Trump, I have to be careful here. Um, yeah, and he lost to a you know a progressive who Elizabeth Warren endorsed. So whatever happens in these primaries, you're going to have two, three, four, a half dozen more members of the squad. This and and what they really are is a very progressive, ultra liberal group. Some of them are socialist group in the Democratic Party. And when there was four of them, Nancy Pelosi couldn't handle it. So I don't, I don't know when there's twenty. You know who knows? So, uh, and that's one of those seats. Uh, she, look, Jessica Sina, she's an attractive candidate. I mean, people like youth; they like vigor. It doesn't help when the FBI raids your offices. That's Cuellar, not Salinas. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, that's right. But I'm. But and look, abortion. She's she's leading with her chin on that issue, but she thinks in that district it's not a loser and. A.B. mentioned authenticity. It's where she's at. I, I, she's a pretty formidable candidate. But this might be one of those examples where progressives get what they want and regret it because she might lose the general election, uh, especially give, given where the electorate has been moving in, in South Texas. All those South Texas counties has been moving Republican starting in 2020. But and I think the district has been redrawn to be slightly more favorable to the Republicans, right? Yeah. And you've had particularly Hispanic women have sort of led the charge. We've seen some some mayors down there switch parties from Democrat to Republican. I mean, it's, it's, it's a much more competitive environment than it used to be. And she could be vulnerable and that seat will definitely be in play. It's one that Republicans will definitely target if she wins or if she doesn't win, because Cuellar is, you know, he's, he's been wounded somewhat either way with the FBI stuff and a, and a, uh, contentious primary. So it's, it's, a, it's a seat that Republicans are going to target regardless. So then other race next week is Georgia. Big race there, Tom. What's going to happen? And it looks like, uh, looks like Kemp is going to pull that out pretty handily at this point, right? So of all of the Trump endorsements, you know, the one that's most personal to him was getting rid of Brian Kemp. 
And he thought he had found his man in David Perdue, former senator, well-known entity in Georgia, legit candidate, obviously. And it just hasn't happened. I mean, we just had a poll come out the other day, Fox News poll, and Kemp is up 32 points. I mean, it's it's not even close. He's up about 26 and a half in our real clear politics average of four polls that have been taken in the month of May. So meanwhile, in the Senate, Herschel Walker is running away with that. No pun intended. Um, he is... <laughs> Somewhat of a different story. He's plowing through the opposition. <laughs> right. Uh, an end run around. Uh, no, he, but he's, a, he, he, he's up, you know, 58 points in that. I mean, he's going to win the nomination. But that that is going to be a very competitive um, general election matchup with Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat in Georgia. So, um, but yeah, this one's going to sting for Trump when, when Kemp, <laughs> if he wins by what the polls suggest he's going to win by. I'll make a prediction in Georgia. When um, Kemp wins, Trump will not blame himself. That's my prediction. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, Carl, NBC is already reporting that Trump is not returning to Georgia before Tuesday and very disappointed in what a lackluster campaign um, David he, Perdue ran. He may pull the endorsement before they, <laughs> it's not out of the question that he pulls it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is really something. So, Amy, when you look at these, uh, here it is. It's it's uh, more than halfway through May with this sort of primary season is still in full swing, but we can start to read the tea leaves a bit. Um, you know, when you look at sort of Trump's influence in the Republican Party and then also how the progressives have done on the Democratic side, how do you evaluate their performance so far? What kind of grade would you give Trump so far and what kind of grade would you give the progressives? Well, first of all, I just don't think they're comparable. I think that Trump's power over the party is is stronger than the progressives electorally at this point. Trump doesn't do well with the general electorate, 2018-2020, special elections during his presidency, but the power and the influence he has with his base is still dominant in the GOP, whereas the progressive voices are loud, but they don't get a lot of electoral wins. They don't win swing districts. They don't uh, they didn't get the presidential nomination and they haven't gotten big wins um, in legislation. So so I, I don't think that they compare. I think Trump is a much bigger gorilla and his part of the Republican Party is bigger than the progressive part. But as like a thorn in the side and the pain in the ass of the establishments of the party, maybe they share something. Um, yeah, the progressives knocking off Kurt Schrader in Oregon, that's a really big deal. I mean, he's a He's a longtime bipartisan member, put his head down, did the work, and it's like MAGA people running Fred Upton and Anthony Gonzalez and, the, and John Patco out of town. It's tough for the establishment. But I think that Trump, like I said, his, I don't think his influence is on the wane. I, and I think that he will be very dominant in the conversation, whether his candidates win or not. He will make sure that the conversation remains about him. That's what he does. So it's not like he's going away. And the threat to the establishment is whether he turns on the establishment winners. If his guy goes down in a primary and the establishment guy wins, does he turn on them later in the summer and say, 
they're just a rhino anyway. It doesn't matter if the Democrat wins because they're just going to endorse Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy. And they're just a bunch of sellouts and they're not real MAGA or whatever. We just have no idea what kind of fits of peak he's going to have. Well, he's already said that about Kemp, right? I mean, that's basically been his line. Right. right? He's already said that. And it's the same as a vote for Stacey Abrams. I don't know that the progressives are going to really have a huge say in a lot of these swing districts or big nominating campaigns that compares with Trump's influence. I I really don't. They just want to grow the squad. They're happy to be in the minority and have a a more progressive caucus. They still believe in a failed electoral strategy, which is mobilization. They believe they're going to mobilize young voters and voters, non-white voters. And they believe that those voters actually believe in their policies, which we're learning increasingly that they don't because non-college African-American and non non-college Latino voters are voting like non-college white voters. And so Rashida Tlaib wants them to vote with the squad and wants them to be, you know, quasi-anti-Semitic and pro-Palestine and, you know, defund the police and abolish ICE and all that stuff. But it turns out that they're actually not. And so they've had this theory for a really long time that they, like Trump, that if you just mobilize your base, you will excite and overwhelm with energy and you'll get you'll get such huge numbers that you will overwhelm um, swing voters and you will you will win with your base alone. It's not worked for the left. It's never been proven. And it didn't work for Trump in 2020. And he didn't get reelected. But I still think he's a much bigger figure. He will tower over 2022 in a way that progressives just won't. Tom? Well, we'll see. I mean, yes, look, we're doing a lot of scorekeeping on Trump and his endorsements and whatnot. But I think his policies are winning. Uh, McCormick and Barnett both claim to be, you know, America firsters. I mean, everybody in all these races uh, in Ohio, uh, North Carolina, where, you know, Ted Budd, and that's a swingy-ish state, maybe leaning a little more Republican, but Ted Budd won by a ton over a former governor. I mean, this guy was no slouch, Pat McCrory, and and Ted Budd destroyed him. Um with Donald Trump's endorsements, but but also with with sort of the America first policy. So I think Trump does have he has changed the landscape for Republicans in terms of a policy perspective. And and if you want to get elected now in a Republican primary, you need to be echoing the America first sort of policy agenda of strong borders, strong you know law enforcement you know, fair trade, all, all of those kinds of things. And and most of the Republican candidates across the country are, are doing that, whether they've been endorsed by Trump or not. Mm. Well, Carl, I'm going to give you the last word on this podcast today. <laughs> all right. Well, well, two things. But, well, I'm going to, uh, but let me ask you, ask you a question to say, yeah, which is because yeah. the thing that I'm interested in is triangulation, which yeah. I don't know if anyone even remembers what that was. But Dick Morris. Dick Morris, uh, one of my mentors in life, was a a guy named Ben Wattenberg. And he used to call the politics of Zorro, which was for the Democrats, you run to the left, you run to the right, and then you rule to the left. So it was a Z he would draw as he did this and called the politics of Zorro. Are we past the politics of Zorro and triangulation? Can anyone who gets the nomination in in either party now um, move to the center enough to to win in the general? Andy, that's a very interesting question. And I, you think if anybody could do it, it would have been Joe Biden, you would have thought. And he, because he, he did it, he just isn't governing that way. Well, no, right? that's exactly what he did. He, he, he ran the, the well, let right. Me finish the, my, the, let me finish okay. my point. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Biden <laughs> promised while he ran for president 
I will pay as much attention to, I will work as hard for the people who didn't support me as the people who did. He ran on that and it got him the nomination and it helped him win the general election. It's what American people want. They want a person who would zig and then not do the final Z. I don't think U.S. politics works that way anymore. I don't know that Joe Biden could have done that. He didn't really try. But what he did was classic, the classic Zorro. He, you know, he said he was this kind of candidate. And then when he got, and he's governed from the left. He has, he has not taken on any of the sacred cows of the, of the, of the squad or the, the lefties of the caucus. He has not, he hasn't met the Republicans halfway on anything. He hasn't done it. And, and if anybody could have done it, it was Joe Biden. First of all, he was old enough that people thought, well, he's still, he's this old guy. He still believes in bipartisanship. Um, he had friends on the other side. He's, he was closer personally. I don't know if this is still true, but when he ran for president to Mitch McConnell, than Chuck Schumer, much closer. He liked McConnell better. Um, I thought, and I wrote that those Georgia seats, it would have been better for Biden if those Georgia seats had gone state Republican, um, instead of been Democrat because, but, but it didn't happen. I'm not sure it can happen anymore. I mean, to, in this if you're a Democrat or Republican, they do have, they seem to have to cater their base. They want to. We forget Donald Trump is as uh, unpredictable as he is on the issue that matters the most to movement conservatives, federal judicial appointments. He was, he was no different than Mike Pence. He was a traditional conservative. I, but I want to say one thing about what Tom got me thinking something about this, the Trump's influence on the Republican Party. But Tom reminds me a little bit of Aaron Sorkin, uh, the mirror image. Remember the West Wing? You guys, that te- television show where Martin Sheed played this, played this Democratic president. It w- West Wing was the Clinton administration, as a liberal would have liked it to have been. In other words, without Bill Clinton and his personality, it was the it was the Bill Clinton administration without Bill Clinton. So a Republican, a, tr- a, a party, a Republican party has Trump policies and not Trump. That's that's going to now be the fantasy, right? But. It's it's not it's hard to accomplish. We're a very personality driven system here. I, I do want to say I'll, I'll leave our listeners though with one thought, which is uh, which is this: I think Atlanta should get the All Star Game back because the All Star Game was taken from Atlanta by MLB when they denounced this Jim Crow law in Georgia that was going to disenfranchise black people. It was the worst thing. How could you do this in Henry Aaron's hometown? Coca Cola said the same thing. Well, the Washington Examiner had a story uh, today. Uh, Georgia has smashed early voting records. The state where supposedly you couldn't you couldn't vote. It was disenfranchised. Five hundred thirty nine thousand people had voted as of Thursday night in Georgia, more than ever before early voting. So Georgia's voting turns out to be really robust. There aren't barriers. If you want to vote early, you can vote early. So I think MLB should give Atlanta back the all-star game and all those small business people around the stadium most of whom are african-american could get that back the money that the democratic party and stacy abrams and mlb conspired to deprive them of <laughs> well good on that note we'll leave it i want to thank uh, ab stoddard carl cannon tom bevan I want to thank the american beverage association for their support of the podcast uh, we very much appreciate it. We're usually here Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays in some form or fashion. So bookmark this podcast, check back often. And if you're looking for the perfect graduation gift, consider giving someone a subscription to a Real Clear Politics newsletter. You don't have to tell them uh, that it's free. 
But if you've been paying college tuition for the past four years, like <laughs> some of us have, uh, you might deserve the break. As always, I encourage you to go to Real Clear Politics, read at least one article from a writer or publication with whom you disagree. That may be A.B. Stoddard this week. And check out uh, the Real Clear Defense podcast, Hot Wash, for more insight into the situation in Ukraine, as well as uh, into other defense-related topics. Thank you for listening. Until next time, for Real Clear Politics, I'm Andrew Walworth. America's beverage companies are working together to reduce plastic waste in our environment. Not all plastic is the same. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles are made to be remade. We're carefully designing them to be 100% recyclable, including the caps. And we're investing in community recycling improvements so that every bottle we get back can be used to make new bottles. That completes the circle and reduces plastic waste. Please help us get every bottle back. Learn more at everybottleback.org.